Our text this morning is from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6a. And this is what it says. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, this entire time I give to you, I offer myself to you. You would use me to speak your truth and your word. I pray that you would filter out anything that comes from my flesh and that the purity of your word would come forth and you would speak to those who need to hear. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, as always, um, what a, a joy and an honor and a privilege it is uh, to address you this morning from the Word of God. Um, obviously, Pastor Mark and Ginger are not here. They um, are taking a well-deserved vacation. And uh, I would like to just uh, remind you and ask you if you would continue, as Sherry and I have every day, to just pray for them and ask the Lord to refresh them and to rejuvenate them, and that they will come back um, ready for uh, the next phase of the, of the work that God has, uh, has called them to. So, um, the Gospel of Mark um, is obviously amazing. Um, in my own personal uh, devotional time, um, I am currently uh, reading through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I finished uh, the previous um, uh, devotional plan that I was working on, and I uh, really felt the Lord wanted me to read through um, one of the Gospels. And uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, is the one I landed on. And I'd like to say that if uh, you are a new believer, um, a young believer, uh, if you are a, a, a seasoned believer, but you just don't really have a personal devotional time, you don't really know where to start in reading the Scriptures, the Gospel of Mark, amen, is a great place to start. Um, it's, it's the shortest of the Gospels. It's the most concise, um, the easiest to read. Um, and so I would really encourage you to just start at the beginning. And, and what I'm doing is just reading through the Gospel of Mark, and there are some natural breaks uh, in my Bible, uh, range topically. And so each day I just read uh, one little section, and I just meditate on that and dig through it and study on that for, for that day. Um, and also I recommend, um, if you're going to begin um, a devotional time, that you simultaneously with the Gospel of Mark also begin in Genesis as well and read those two concurrently. And that way you will get a, a flavor of, of, 
uh, the redemptive history, uh, why redemption is even necessary at all, simultaneous with redemption itself. So I just encourage you guys uh, to do that if, uh, if you would. So this section that Pastor Dave read this morning kind of closes out um, a larger section of the gospel, beginning with about uh, the middle of chapter 3, all the way through the, the verses that Pastor Dave read today. This kind of closes that. And then, and what happens next is a big launch that happens in Jesus' ministry, which we will not talk about today. But this is, this is uh, the end, if you will, of, of what went before. Um, and so I, I want to uh, kind of go back a little bit and give you a little bit of the history of what's been going on prior to uh, today's passage. Um, first of all, Jesus, uh, up to this point, had selected his um, disciples, his apostles. Um, and many uh, of his disciples uh, just simply followed him. They weren't some that he selected, but they just um, began following him. And they uh, were, am I still on? And they were, um, if you will, flunkies in the faith. Um, they don't know anything. Uh, they are, they're newbies, they're flunkies. And so they are following him and beginning to learn what it means to walk in faith. And uh, so some of the things that have happened prior to today's passage are these. Um, if you remember on a Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue and uh, he healed a man with a withered hand. And it infuriated the people who were there because he did it on the Sabbath. If you recall, he went into the synagogue and he said to them, uh, I ask you, is it right on the Sabbath? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To heal or to kill? And the scriptures say there was dead silence. And he looked around at them with intense anger. And then he said to the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand. And he healed him. And they were enraged and began plotting how to kill him. Also, uh, as he went about, he healed others in the crowds. Uh, everywhere that Jesus went, there were many crowds that followed him. And as you recall, many times he healed them. People would come to him with physical maladies uh, and, and demon possession. And whatever their needs were, he healed them. As I said earlier, uh, he chose the twelve. He selected out of his disciples sovereignly those 12 that were to be more of an inner circle and to receive special instruction and special attention and a lot more time with him than the others. He, he chose those 12 sovereignly. His family thought that he was insane. If you remember, they thought he had lost his mind. And they even came one time to a place, a house where he was ministering and tried to rescue him, if you will, from perhaps his own embarrassment. Uh, they thought he was out of his mind. Scriptures say that. Um, he addressed at one point the unpardonable sin. Let me just briefly comment on that. If that uh, the thought of the unpardonable sin terrifies you, good, it should. But let me also tell you that if you're afraid that you've committed that sin, you can rest assured you have not. Because the a unpardonable sin is an inability to repent. And you don't want to. So, yeah, there you go. Also, if you remember at one point he was ministering in a house and uh, his family showed up uh, at the outside and wanted to, to see him, wanted to talk to him. And uh, they sent word to him and he said, Who is my family? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who's my mother? 
And the scripture said he looked at the disciples and said, these are my real family. These are my brother and my sister and my mother. Those who hear the will of God, the word of God, and do it. That is my family. And then he began talking about the kingdom of God. And he began using parables to explain to the people what the kingdom of God was like. And, and uh, there, there were so many different facets to the kingdom, so many different ways to look at it, so many different truths to, to embrace and to understand. Um, he said uh, the, the kingdom was like, uh, the, in the parable of the soils, the kingdom was like a, a sower who went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell on hard ground, and some fell on rocky soil, and some fell on um, a soil where it grew up, but there were weeds among it, and then some fell on good soil. Nothing wrong with the seed, same seed, it was the soil. And he talked about how the kingdom was like um, the word, and he was the sower who sowed it into the hearts of men. And depending upon the condition of the, the man's heart, that's what happened to the word. Um, he talked about the purpose of parables, how they were given so that some could understand and some could not. Sovereignly, God granted some understanding, and sovereignly, some he did not. He talked about the kingdom burning inside of us being like a, a lamp that you light in your house. And he said, nobody lights a lamp in their house and then covers it over with a basket. What good is that? The light in you should shine and should shine in the world. And he said to his disciples, see to it that your light shines in such a way that men will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He talked about uh, the parable of the seeds and the sowing or the parable of the farmer. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out and he sows seed in his field. And then he goes to bed. And then he gets up the next day and there are the crops, there are the plants. How he does not know. The earth brings forth fruit on its own. How God sovereignly causes the kingdom to grow. And then he talked about uh, the parable of the mustard seed. How the smallest garden seed, the little mustard seed, is planted in the garden and it grows into this giant bush that the birds of the air can come and nest in it. And that's how the kingdom is. It starts so tiny, but it grows not only in us, but also globally. That's how the kingdom grows. And then at one point, he calmed a storm. He was with the disciples in a boat, asleep, and a storm came along, terrified them, they woke him up, he calmed the storm, and the scriptures say he was, they were even more afraid now. They were more afraid of him than the storm. He healed the Gerasene demoniac, uh, the, the demon-possessed man who was possessed by legion. And he cast out the demons, and they went into the swine, 2,000 of them, and they rushed over the hillside and all drowned in the sea. He healed Jairus' daughter, the ruler of the synagogue, and raised her to life. And finally, on his way to do that, he healed the woman with the issue of blood who had, had been bleeding for 12 years, spent all she had on doctors, and had not gotten any better. And just by a touch of faith to his garment, she was healed. All these things he did prior to the Scripture we read today. Now, I don't normally um, title my messages, if you will, um, which means that Dave Burke has to figure out what to call it when he posts it. But uh, today I am, and I'm going to tell you what it is. The title of today's message is Unbelievable Unbelief. 
I want to talk about the power of unbelief. If you recall last week, Pastor Mark just briefly in passing talked about how powerful unbelief is. And I want to really flesh that out today. For example, in the Garden of Eden, Eve, along with her husband Adam, did not believe. God spoke to them and he said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. Satan came, tempted them. And at that moment when Eve ate in her heart, she was like, I don't believe it. And she ate and they both fell and sin entered the world. And God pronounced judgment on them and drove them out of the garden in essence saying, believe it. The world, the inhabited earth, did not believe in the days of Noah. And it took Noah about a hundred years to build the ark. And the book of Hebrews said that he was a preacher of righteousness. And for a hundred years, he preached, whether verbally or through his actions, about repentance and about salvation. And the earth did not believe. And on the day the rains came, God said, believe it. The nation of Israel, after being brought out of Egypt, did not believe. And subsequently, they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness till everyone that was 20 years old or older was dead, except Joshua and Caleb. God said, believe it. Aaron, earlier in that story, at the base of Mount Sinai, very weakly, um, with no resistance, allowed the people to talk him into uh, making a, an idol, a, a golden calf. And because of his unbelief, 3,000 people died. Moses' unbelief, when God told him to hold his staff over the rock and he struck it instead, his unbelief cost him going into the promised land. He was forbidden from going in. He died on this side of the Jordan, looking over into the promised land, but his unbelief cost him. There are many other examples. Uh, certainly you could uh, go through the Scriptures and see them. John uh, 3.16, probably the most well-known passage in the entire Scriptures, 3.16-18 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever, what? Believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Unbelief. Acts 13, verse 31 says, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your day, something that you will never believe, though someone should sit you down and explain it to you. So, Jesus, now we're back to today's passage. Jesus goes to his hometown, to the, his hometown of Nazareth. Despite all of the tensions uh, that are in his family, he goes there. And as is so often the case, he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach. Now, if you've ever seen a, a, a movie, ever gone to a movie and like the first 
five, six, seven, eight minutes, just like they just pounce on it with this heart pounding, adrenaline rushing, beginning to this movie. And at about six or seven minutes in, you're just panting like this. And then they stop. And then they cut to another scene. And down here in big letters, it says, one year earlier. Imagine that right now, if you would. So we're going to go back one year. Jesus has been ministering for about a year. He had been baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit had driven him into the wilderness. He spent 40 days there being tempted by Satan. Having passed every temptation, he came back in the power of the Spirit, and he began his public ministry. And he began it at home in the town of Nazareth where he had grown up. That's where he started. And he went into the synagogue. And I want to read you from uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 27. This is his very first public address in the synagogue. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 27. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard was done at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the days of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now remember, we're one year earlier. He's, he's in Nazareth, his hometown. He's begun his ministry. And this is the scene in the synagogue. And what he says to them, what he reminds them of is this. That when the people of Israel reject God's prophets, he sends them elsewhere. He reminds the people of Nazareth. That when Israel, including them, rejects God's prophets, he sends them elsewhere. Even to the Gentiles. I mean... Elijah and Elisha were sent to pagan lands. Um, Elijah was sent to a woman in the land of Sidon, which was Gentile territory. And Elisha was sent to heal Naaman the Syrian, who was a border terrorist. 
the nation of Israel did not believe. And so God sent his prophets to the Gentiles. And then it says in verse 28, And when they heard these things, everyone in the synagogue was filled with what? Rage. Jesus was a prophet, just like the prophets before him. And they treated him exactly as their forefathers had treated the prophets in their day. A prophet with the same message, the same message of repentance, the message of the gospel, and they treated him the same. And the scriptures say that they rose up and they, I could just see them just pushing and shoving him and they drove him out of the synagogue and they drove him out to the brow of the hill uh, where uh, the cliff was that their city was built on. It says that they intended to throw him off the cliff that he dared to indict them for their unbelief, that he dared to indict them for their sin and they were going to kill him. But the scriptures say that passing through their midst, he went his way. What a start to a ministry. And their behavior at the beginning cast the shadow of the cross where the whole nation would reject him in about three years. So now let's fast forward to today's passage of Scripture. So here's the scene. Um, the, The town of Nazareth. We don't really know a lot about this town. Um, it's, it's only mentioned a few times in the Gospels and nowhere else. Um, uh, there's very little uh, written about it in extra-biblical literature. Josephus doesn't men- mention it. Um, there's very little that we know about this town, except that it was tiny. Uh, our best guess is that it was somewhere between 200 and 500 people. That is little. Now, I've never lived in a town that small. I live in a little town right now, but not that small. Some of you probably have lived in a town that small. And what's one thing that you know of when you live in a small town? Everybody knows everybody. And that's where he grew up. It covered only about 60 acres of ground. It was small. It was built into a a rocky hillside. Um, If you remember that Joseph had taken his family and settled there to hide. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and when the Magi, the wise men, came looking for him, they went to Herod, said, where is he? And it says that Herod and the entire city of Jerusalem was terrified to hear this news. So Herod asked the wise men to go find Jesus and to come back and tell him so that he too could worship him. God warned them in a dream to go back another way. When Herod saw that he was tricked, he became enraged. And he sent his soldiers into Bethlehem and all of its environs and slew all of the male children, two years old and younger. But God had warned Joseph in a dream to take Mary and baby Jesus to Egypt. So they fled to Egypt and they stayed there until Herod's death. And then the Lord told Joseph, said, those that sought the child's life are now dead. Go back to Israel. So he headed back. But when he heard that Herod's son was reigning in his place, he was afraid to go back to Bethlehem. So, thinking, as Joseph would think, where can we hide? Nazareth. Nobody would look for us there. It's a nobody town in a nowhere place. Nobody is going to look for us there. So he went there to hide. If you remember when uh, Jesus called his disciples, that when he called Philip, Philip went and found Nathanael and said, we have found 
um, the Messiah, the, the chosen one that the scriptures have spoken of, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel replied in a oft-quoted quip from their, their, their culture, can anything good come from Nazareth? You didn't want to be from Nazareth. Matthew 2.23 says that the prophets spoke that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, if you go back in the scriptures, there's actually no place at all that you would see that quote, where you would see that explicitly said. What that means is, is that he would be despised. Because Nazareth was a town that was despised. And he himself was despised. Do you see the cruel irony of what happened in today's passage of Scripture? He was from a town that was despised. He was among the despised, and he was despised by the despised. He was a hometown boy, a nobody from nowhere. So here we are in in Mark chapter 6. And what's different about this visit to Nazareth, you remember the last time he was there, they tried to kill him after one sermon. And so he returns about a year later. And what's different this time is that the first time he was there, he was alone. His ministry was him, him alone. Well, now his disciples have spent 12 months with him approximately, and they've been learning, and they've been under his tutelage. They, they were uh, interns, if you will. And they're listening to his teaching and watching his miracles and, and growing in the faith and becoming equipped for the ministry that he's eventually going to send them on. And so they come with him. So he returns home to his hometown with his disciples in tow. And the reason that he does that is because what's about to happen, I said earlier he was going to launch into a new section of ministry. He's about to send them out as his emissaries, two by two, into the regions around And he wants them to experience firsthand what it's going to be like to be in the ministry. They're going to get firsthand knowledge of what this is going to be like. So, he goes to the synagogue, and uh, he is uh, the guest speaker, apparently, because he's the one that spoke. And it was on the Sabbath, obviously, and it's really interesting to me that though he himself is Lord of the Sabbath, he honored the Sabbath and attended the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the scriptures say that he began to teach. Now the scriptures don't say what he taught about. They just say that he began to teach. And so he taught them on something. And if you remember when Pastor Day read it, it said, and many were astonished at what he said. Now, that English word astonished doesn't even begin to capture their response. Because in the Greek, uh, the root of that word that we got, uh, that we translated astonished means to like pummel incessantly. It means to just beat to a pulp. And then there's a prefix on that word, which would be like our word super. And so, um, instead of a man, a superman. I mean, he gave them a super pummeling. I mean, uh, you could probably, in, in, uh, in pop culture, you could say, he blew them away. He blew their minds. They were like... But let me remind you that wonder and amazement does not equal faith and repentance. 
They were astonished. They were amazed. They were in wonder. But it didn't equal faith and repentance. So they began to question. And they said, where did this man get these things? Now, you have to get the uh, emphasis right in that sentence. They were not asking the source of where he got those things. Here's what they were saying. Where did this guy get those things? In the Greek, it's this fellow. We would say this guy. It, it was not a compliment. Where did this guy get this stuff? What is this wisdom given to him? Another way we could say that is, wait, wisdom from him? That's what they were saying. And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this just a carpenter? Isn't he the carpenter? By the way, a carpenter, uh, a more accurate translation of that would be like a builder. Carpenters of that day were not restricted to working with wood. They generally would work with wood and stone and metal. So he probably had a, a few more skills than we read into that. They were a builder. And uh, which makes perfect sense because what did he say? I will build my church. But the people of Nazareth said, he's just a carpenter. He's just a nobody. He's just a blue collar worker. What's all this? What's, what's with this? Or maybe they're saying, who does he think he is? He thinks he's better than us. He's no better than us. Oh man, little did they know. Then, they get nasty. They said, isn't this the son of Mary? I don't know if you know anything about Jewish culture, but you do not do that. When you refer to somebody, you refer to them by their father. Now that's not a, a, a dig at women or at females at all, but culturally, you said, Jesus, son of Joseph. Remember Jesus, when he addressed uh, Simon Peter early on, said, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. That's the way you did it. That showed honor and respect. But to say, isn't this Mary's son? That was an insult. And furthermore, They probably were insinuating at least, if not outright questioning, the legitimacy of his birth. I mean, people knew that Joseph was not his biological father. I mean, were were they calling him the B word? This was not pretty. And isn't he just the, the brother of James and of Joseph and Judas, or Jude for short, and Simon? Aren't his brothers right here? We know them. There's nothing special about them. Why does he think he's so special? Now at this time, even his brothers were not believing in him, the scriptures say. Later they would. In fact, two of them, um, James, became a pillar in the Jerusalem church after Jesus' resurrection and wrote the book of James, which may, we're not sure, have been the very first book of the New Testament written. And then Judas, or Jude, wrote the book of Jude as well. So at least two of his brothers later became believers, but not now. They don't believe in him at all. 
And are not his sisters here with us as well? We know his family. There's nothing about them that would cause him to be so special as he thinks he is. And then the Scriptures say, and they took offense at him. Another way that we could say that is, he offended them, or they found him offensive. Um, I don't know if you've ever smelled an offensive odor. I have. I've also smelled some beautiful odors. And depending upon your olfactory nerves, you and I may smell something. I'm thinking of, say, a perfume. You know, there's all kinds of different fragrances and perfumes. We may open up a perfume, and I may go, ah, and you go, or vice versa. We're smelling the same thing, right? 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16 says, For we, believers, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance of death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Or another way to say that is, to some people, we smell like death. To others, we smell like life. So it was with Jesus this day in in the synagogue in Nazareth. He smelled like death to them. You know, you, you would have thought that at the very minimum, they would have been glad that there was a celebrity from their town that they could you know, lay hold of. You know how we are. I mean, we've got a celebrity in our city, right? That our cult, our whole culture is kind of built around a, a musician. And you've seen little towns that say, welcome to whatever, the birthplace of whoever. You know how towns grab onto any, any shred of celebrity that they can. You would have thought that at the minimum, they would have been glad to say, hey, Jesus, he's from Nazareth. But the reaction was exactly the opposite. The town of Nazareth was probably at least two of the soils in the parable of the soils. The hard ground or the rocky ground at best. And they stumbled into sin. And then Jesus says this. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. So he starts with the town. And it's been true of prophets from millennia. There's no honor for them where they come from. And he says to the town of Nazareth, I get no honor from you because the prophet gets no honor in his hometown. These are just people. He probably knew a lot of them. But then he tightens the circle a little and he says, and his relatives, his aunt, his uncles, his cousins, They give him no honor either. And then he really tightens the circle. And his immediate family, his brothers, sister, were not believing in him. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. And the scriptures say that he could do no mighty work there except to heal a few sick people. Now, if you read this account over in uh, Matthew, it's phrased slightly differently. And it says, he did not do many mighty works there. 
And to be clear, unbelief does not diminish the power of God. Unbelief has no bearing on His sovereignty. If you ever heard that cute little thing in middle school where you've heard, uh, well, what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable rock? That's an easy one. There are no immovable rocks because God is an irresistible force. Nothing can resist Him. So their unbelief does not at all diminish or contain His power. Perhaps their unbelief kept them from coming for healing. It's possible at least. And how sad is that? How sad would it be that you, you need healing, but you're so offended by this guy, you're like, okay, I need to be healed, but not by him. How terrible and sad is that? And also remember that Jesus will not force his miracles upon a skeptical and unbelieving audience. Without a willing heart, he doesn't move. And then he closes by saying that he marveled at their unbelief. This means that he was completely astonished in his humanity, in his human nature. He was absolutely astonished. We we might say his jaw dropped. Unbelievable unbelief. Only two times in the Scriptures does it ever record that Jesus marveled or was astonished. The first time was He marveled at faith. If you remember the account in Matthew 8 of the centurion who came to Him and and said, Lord, my servant is at the point of death. Please come and heal him. Jesus said, I will come. And the centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. For I too am a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and go. And this one, come. And he comes. And the scriptures say when Jesus heard that, his jaw dropped. Remember, this guy is a Gentile. He is not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. And it says Jesus marveled and he turned to the crowds and he said to them, I can just see him yelling at the top of his lungs, I have not seen anywhere in Israel faith like that. I've never seen faith like that. And he said to him, go, your servant is healed. And the other time that he marveled was in today's passage at their unbelief. He marveled at faith and marveled at unbelief. It was more than just frustration. It was more than anger. It was more than grief. He was astonished. You know, we have a saying in our, in, in our American culture, familiarity breeds contempt. And that's exactly what happened here. They were just so familiar with him that they were offended that it would be him. Anyone should have believed in him. It should have been them. And what happened was, is, is when he left Nazareth, that had been his home base for his ministry. He pulled up stakes and moved to Capernaum, and it was never Nazareth again. 
They rejected him, and he left. Now I have to say, and I'm almost done here, as I was going through this, I, I became really frustrated. I'm like, what am I missing here? There's, what am I missing here? Why in the world would they not believe? What is up? And I was, I was standing in the shower, and I was praying and asking the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't get it. And he said, yeah, you do. You get it. There's no good reason. They just didn't believe. That's the whole point. So, in closing, let me ask you this. What does this have to do with you? Those of you watching live, or those of you here, what in the world does this have to do with you? Well, let me ask you a few questions. Have you grown up with Jesus? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Grown up with Jesus? Were your parents believers? Your grandparents? And you've been around Jesus your whole life. Have you um, gone to a Christian school? Been exposed to Jesus day in and day out? At the minimum... You recognize Christian elements in our society and you, you brush across, you, know, you see all the churches on every corner and you, you uh, happen across Christian radio or see things on TV and you've grown up with Jesus. And if anyone should believe, it should be you, but you don't. So if that's you, if you have grown up with him, if you're from Nazareth and you're offended by him, or apathetic, and you don't believe, then the only thing I can say to you is I just shake my head and say, unbelievable. Let's pray. Father, let your word accomplish that for which you've sent it forth. Convict those that need conviction. Bring to repentance, Father, those that need to repent. Grant grace, Lord. Be merciful, I pray, to those who have not believed and need to believe. Heal their blindness. Open their eyes, Father. Let them be believing and not unbelieving. Let your spirit work, Father, for eternal life and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. I ask in his name. Amen. Well, for those of us who are believers, we're going to participate in the sacrament of communion now. Um, if you're visiting with us, uh, this table is not just for our church, you just have to be a believer. If you're not a believer, we would ask you to, to please refrain because this would have no meaning for you. Um, but all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are welcome to participate at this table. So what I'm going to have you do is, is in a moment here, I'm going to have you stand. And if you'll just come by and take the elements, go back to your seat and remain standing uh, for further instructions. So please come. The Scriptures say, that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, 
This is my body broken for you. And he said for us to eat it in remembrance of him. If you would take just a moment alone, close your eyes, spend a few moments with Jesus. If there's anything that you need to tell him, tell him now. And then when you're ready, take the bread as a, as a symbol of our individual relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant shed for you. Take it and drink in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together as a symbol of our corporate relationship with one another and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you would place your hands in a receiving position, I'm going to pronounce the benediction, and you'll be dismissed. I want to ask you to remember to pray for Pastor Mark and Ginger every day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And... Do not be unbelieving, but believing. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.